Okay, this is episode 25 of Sergey Roth's Growth Podcast, and this time I caught up with Steve Watt, who's a co-founder of Account-Based Marketing Summit here in Toronto. He runs two different roles in marketing, which we will dive into in a moment, and he's also a recurrent guest host on the podcast called Flip My Funnel. If you are in marketing, you will know. I will link it in the show notes so you can check this out as well. Before we dive into episode, I wanted to quickly mention that I launched my own newsletter in the last couple of weeks that comes out every Sunday. It's called Ross Growth. And what I do there is I try to give you guys deep and practical insights on business, marketing, personal development, things from books, articles online, and the stuff that I create myself, like the episodes on my podcast and my videos. So without further ado, here's Steve. Welcome, everyone. This is Sergey Roth Growth Podcast. I am thrilled to have Steve Watt here with me today, who is a co-founder of Toronto ABM Summit. He's also ABM strategist at a company called Query, which is a marketing firm that does exclusive, exclusively focuses on B2B tech. And he's a VP of marketing at Avanti Software, which creates a better employee experience from hiring to retiring. Steve, it's a pleasure to have you here on the show today. Yeah, I'm really excited to be here, Sergey. Thanks for having me on. Fantastic. Well, we just talked a little bit before we went on the air about what do you do more or less of compared to other people who are unable to do what you do? Because you do we have a lots lots of different roles at the same time. So maybe you could talk a little bit about that. Yeah, it's I'm on a really interesting and, and exciting adventure here with my career over the last I guess it's been about a year and a half. And I kind of look at it like, you know, who says the gig economy is just for Uber drivers, right? Why not explore uh, a dynamic and versatile mixture of different things um, within within leadership and, and marketing and, and tech? So I am doing a lot of different things all at mm-hmm. once, as, as you said. So and I, and I consider myself super fortunate to be able to work with so many smart people in, in the process of it. I think that's one of the big wins. So uh, I'll quickly talk about what I'm doing and then I'll kind of talk about why I find it so stimulating. Uh, so I, I, I do work at, at Quarry, which is a one of North America's leading demand marketing agencies. And, and Quarry does really sophisticated demand gen and account-based marketing for huge tech brands. And that gives me an opportunity to work with some of the most sophisticated account-based marketers and demand gen professionals out there and use great technology and great clients. And it's, it's an amazing learning experience for me. And, and I'm able to do things there that I would not have the opportunity to do in a lot of smaller firms and smaller budget kind of work. At the same time, I am spending a couple of days a week leading the small but growing marketing team at Avanti Software, which is a Calgary-based organization that sells payroll and HR software to Mm -hmm. the Canadian mid-market firms. And it's an amazing company that it's... 
on a really tremendous growth trajectory and just such a wonderful culture and such a, a clarity of who they are in the marketplace. And, and I'm absolutely loving mm. that as well. And, uh, and then on top of that, as you said, I've, I've, uh, you know, I co-founded and, and co-ran the uh, Toronto account-based marketing summit and I co-lead the Toronto ABM meetup group. And I do a variety of, of speaking and writing and stuff in, in that space as well. So yeah, never a dull moment. Mm -hmm. And, and it, what do I do more of? Well, I think I get to work with more people. I get to solve more problems. I get to broaden my horizons. And I, and I think I get to learn twice as fast or three times as fast as I ever did when I was wholly in one role. Um, there's just so much, especially in a fast evolving area like ABM, mm -hmm. there's so much to learn and so much to test and figure out. And being able to do it in, in several different environments all at once just accelerates the clock speed of my own learning, which is really great. I guess, the, you know, you said, what do you do less of? Well, yeah. I guess I, uh, I can't get quite as deep into, into everything as I otherwise could if I was wholly focused on one challenge. So I have to be careful to make sure that I stay at a really good altitude in terms of um, high enough up strategically mm -hmm. to deliver value to the firms I'm working with and, and not get pulled down too far into the weeds where I could burn a whole lot of time on something and, and fail to come up for air. So it's, it's, it's always a, a, a challenge for me, I think, to make sure I keep working at the at the right altitude, so to speak. It's a fine balance, right? When you go too broad and not going too broad and not going too deep in one thing. Yeah, and, and I think success in, in today's tech world and marketing and sales and everything requires all of us to be able to scale up and down in, in that, you know, from up into strategy and then down into execution. And, mm -hmm. and we all do it all the time, multiple times a day. Um, and I think it's a really important muscle that, that we all develop. And uh, it's just a little bit different when I'm kind of doing that across two or three different organizations all at once. Uh, sometimes getting down into the weeds of execution um, can pose time constraint problems. So mm. I, I'm, I'm always trying to find the right balance there. I'm, I'm not sure that I, I necessarily always do strike the right balance, but mm -hmm. I certainly try to. Well, yeah, I mean, it's, it's a really cool approach, which we will talk a little bit later on uh, in um, on this podcast. But you wrote a very cool article on LinkedIn that I liked a lot. Yeah, you went to Istanbul Grand Bazaar and you talk about the mar marketing and you, you gave this great analogy that I thought was so cool in one of your articles. So maybe you could tell, uh, tell us a little bit about what was, the, what was the whole thing about the trip and what, what, were, what were some of your findings and how did that align to just marketing? It, it was a funny thing. I in no way intended to connect the dots the way I did it. It just <laughs> was one of those things. I'm walking through the Grand Bazaar in Istanbul which is, for anyone who's ever been there, it is a massive and historic place with 
thousands of of little storefronts and you know tens of thousands of people and it's been there for hundreds of years and i mean it's a fascinating place and i was not walking through the doors with SaaS or technology or any of that kind of stuff on my mind. I was, I was a uh, a tourist with a couple of days to go explore a fascinating city, and that's all I was doing. But as I was walking through there, it, it was funny because I'm walking down aisle mm-hmm. after aisle after aisle of rows upon rows of of jewelry stores and you know Turkish delight and other food and everything like that, and they were all the same like they just literally were they looked the same they all had the same products all they were all displayed in the same way there was absolutely no differentiation it seemed and then and then there was also they all had these young friendly articulate people out in front of them calling out to me and everyone Mm. else like, hey, uh, where are you from? Uh, you know, I want to ask you a question. And, and, and it was funny. I started thinking like, well, this is actually a little bit like technology, right? You know, sometimes <laughs> it feels like there's a lack of differentiation. You know, that sometimes all the SaaS websites look alike and yeah. all the emails you get and all the prospecting emails and in-mails and everything all start looking and sounding alike. And then I started seeing these guys calling out to me, kind of like being sales dev guys, you know, just (laughs) trying to pull me in in a completely undifferentiated way. And, and, and the more I walked through it, I just, it just, it was funny to me that, that I thought like, like how different these worlds are in in some ways, some obvious ways, but also some Mm -hmm. of these similarities. And, and it got me thinking about, a lot of the ways that sometimes we do things wrong in, mm-hmm. in technology and in, in uh, software and SaaS and everything like that. So, yeah, it was a fascinating experience. And um, and, and I, th- I think back to it a lot when I ju- just the other day I got two in-mails in the space of an hour or two mm-hmm. from two different companies Um and they were almost word for word the same as each other. I actually copy pasted them both into Word and was like put them side by side and was looking at them thinking like these these two in-mails that I got are 80 to 90% the exact same words and they're 100% the exact same structure. And it's like this lack of so many things, right? Lack yeah. of any... Yeah. Uh, lack of any differentiation, lack of any genuine customization. You know, they all claim that, you know, they, you know, they're perfect for you and your industry and everything, but it's so generic, you know, it's just going out to so many people. And yeah, so I, I, I found it kind of funny that, that, you know, this is going on in a historic marketplace in Istanbul and it's going on right here in Canada and the U S in our, in our inboxes and in our email boxes every day. All the time. And I loved your example when you said, um, I think there was two and one where you, you said it was a cold day and nobody was selling hats and, and you're like, well, that's just so weird. Like it's a cold day at Istanbul. Nobody figured out that tourists walking through the aisles, they like, they might need a hat. If you, if you offer hats, it's all contextual. It's all, like people have intent. They will want to get it. 
And the same happened when it was raining. Nobody was selling umbrellas, which was such a missed opportunity. And then on top of that, everybody does the same thing, which is um, which is so true in our in SaaS world, and and especially in Martech, when we have you know this is like the classic slides. You probably have them in your presentations that you do. It's 2011, 350 companies. Then it's like a thousand. Then it's like 6,800. And right now, I think we are crossing 8,000 companies. And everybody doing the same similar thing. And then how do you how are you different right yeah and it's it's that was another really interesting part of it I, what just seemed to me to be a lack of empathy for the for the buyers um it was really cold it was december and mm-hmm. and it was cold and and it was windy and there was a lot of really cold tourists walking around and including me and i was actually like i know i want to go buy a hat and some gloves like i will really happily do that it'll make my experience so much better and i was searching and it took me a while um and then and then i did find a, a hat and it was such a inexpensive solution to my pain and i lo- i was so happy to make that purchase and then as i continued on the rest of the day i noticed hats for sale in half a dozen other shops um but no one was promoting them no one was waving them around no one was saying you know calling out to these cold tourists saying you know like i recognize your pain and i got i got just what you need here Instead, they were following their script. They were still doing the, hey, where are you from? I want to ask you a question. I like your shoes. It was just Mm -hmm. this completely generic approach that utterly lacked empathy. And and then, as you said, the the next day, it was was pouring rain. You know, somebody Mm -hmm. could have made a killing with umbrellas, but no one was doing it. They were doing the same. They were just following their script. And I just thought it was really interesting. It totally is. And when we when we think about companies and SaaS companies that are doing the same thing, do you where do you why do you think there's a lack of trying to do something different and stand out? Is it is it a part of, oh, we don't want to fail. We want to do things that we know worked in the past uh, and they are not trying to push. They're not trying to take risks. What is what is, in your opinion, holding them back? Yeah, I think it's a lot of things, Um, you know, on one hand, I think it's the double-edged sword of best practices, right? We mm. all read and listen to podcasts and everything else and, and absorb best practices. And, and that's good to a point. But right. if it leads us to all do the exact same thing, and you see a lot of of uh, complaining about that on LinkedIn where it's it's like, you know, these these awful follow-ups with the, Oh, did you get eaten by a bear? You know? (laughs) Um, it's like, yeah, you know, the first guy who did that, it was funny and it was probably super impactful, Mm -hmm. but then the next thousand people who did that, it just was cringe inducing for people like, Oh God, not that, not that again. And I think this happens again and again that, um, we, we seek to reduce risk by emulating best practices, but then we all start, gravitating towards the exact same practices. So I think that's part of it. Mm-hmm. I think that another issue is this idea that, oh, you know, sales, it's a, it's a numbers game, you know, coffee's for closers, got to keep on dialing, dialing, dialing. And I mean, it's true to a point that if you dial the phone enough times or send enough emails or send enough in surely you're going to book some meetings and you're going to generate some revenue so then there's often this pressure to just you know increase your volume increase the quantity of these things and it 
it takes a, a braver mindset to say, no, I'm, I'm not going to increase quantity. I'm mm-hmm. going to actually decrease quantity and I'm going to focus on quality and I'm going to, I'm going to be far more targeted in who I speak to. I'm going to be far more researched about them so that I can be relevant. And, uh, you know, sometimes whether it's at the, at the role of, of more of an individual contributor wanting to blaze a different path within their organization, sometimes you just can't because your performance metrics, what's expected of you, don't really allow that to happen. And you're being measured on activity metrics. Um, and it, it's, it could be a very hard and, and perhaps um, career-limiting fight to say, I don't want to focus on these these volume metrics. I, I want to do this other approach. But then even at the leadership level, mm-hmm. um, you know, you might be the head of sales or the head of marketing or whatever, and, and you really want to take a different path. But unless you've got the CEO's buy-in on that, it can be hard. And, you know, the old the old saying about, you know, no, from the past, nobody ever gets fired for buying IBM kind of thing. Well, I think nobody <laughs> ever gets fired for... Um, a whole lot of activity and a whole lot of dialing and a whole lot of email cadences and everything like that. Cause it seems like it's the safe and an appropriate thing to do. But you know, when everyone's doing that, it, it creates a horrible amount of mm. noise. And, and you know, yeah. that was another experience I had in Istanbul was that the first guys who cold called me as I'm saying, you know, as I'm, as I'm yeah. positioning it, that they were yelling out to me, <laughs> you know, at first I would, chat with them a little bit I'd answer their you know where are you from oh I'm from Canada you know I'd answer their question and I'd be polite and I'd be friendly because that's who I am right Mm -hmm. and then I started to get kind of jaded pretty quickly (laughs) and I stopped engaging with them and and you know maybe I'd kind of smile and just say not interested not interested and then Mm -hmm. before long I was just completely ignoring them like I wouldn't even make eye contact with them I wouldn't acknowledge them in any way and that happened fast and I thought wow isn't it interesting that in in a couple of hours I went from engaging with them to politely disengaging to now completely ignoring them as if they don't exist. And at first, when I first started doing that, I felt a little guilty and rude about that. You know, here's a, here's a guy trying to earn a living and I'm, I'm ignoring him like he's not there. And, and then very quickly I stopped feeling guilty about that. I Mm. thought, you know what? There's no empathy on, on his part. This is absolutely a numbers game. He's just, you know, he's going to be hollering out to a thousand people a day and he doesn't care about me. I'm just uh, a number in his world and I am under no obligation to play that game. I'm under no obligation to engage. And I think that that's where we've all gotten in the B2B world is we all get so many emails and phone calls and in-mails and everything that we have, even if we started out politely engaging in some ways, most of us have stopped. And, and mm-hmm. it's, it's a, I believe, an inevitable symptom of this, you know, volume kind of approach that so many companies are taking. And, you know, and, and then as a result, uh, I think that, creates real opportunity for individuals and for companies who take an entirely different approach, which, you know, is how you end up having conversations about account-based marketing and and other things like that, where, where you completely turn that, uh, that dynamic on its head. 
and it's such a great analogy. That's why I liked it. Was uh, you know you you you'd get something that simple as just being at a bazaar, and then and then it is so applicable in the real world. And as you mentioned, I mean, great points on um, how like the in how the it's been incentivized from by leadership by VP of marketing and and end of the day it all's come it's all coming from the CEO and that activity based metric so important and it's so true like sometimes companies get locked into the cycle and then it's really hard to break away from that and you also mentioned uh, my next question which is ABM and you are at the ABM um, specialist this is the area that you are focusing on for a while now so and in in, in in recent years, so why is this that such a fast growing part of B two B right now? Well, ABM. I mean, the, the simple answer is because it works. But you know, deal digging in a little deeper than that. Why does it work? Why why is ABM so effective? And I, I think, on one hand, it's because it's the opposite of what we were just discussing. It, you know, it is it is multi threaded across. A variety of people, decision makers and influencers within within an organization. It's researched. It's multi-touch. It's value-based in terms of really delivering value. It's very different from the you know let's go after a thousand companies and and hope you know let's let's just build a big inbound net and you know maybe put a thousand leads in the top and hope that some of them are relevant and some of them are willing to engage and there'll be some kind of revenue that comes out the bottom. And it just, you know, it flips that funnel upside down and says, well, instead, why don't we focus on the companies that are the absolute best fit for our products and our solutions? Mm -hmm. And why don't we go much, much deeper and much more quality and value oriented with those specific organizations and within and with the key people in those organizations who can influence this and why don't we really understand them and why don't we really map our products and our solutions to their stated strategic priorities um because if we don't do that we're just noise and Mm -hmm. if we're noise who can blame them for completely tuning us out so um yeah i mean abm I think is just a fundamentally better approach to mm. sales and marketing in many cases. Now, if, if your deal sizes are very small and you're very much a, a high velocity seller of low cost goods and services, maybe ABM is not right. But for a huge swath of the market, um, some variety of ABM is a much more efficient and a much more effective way of actually becoming signal amongst the noise in the marketplace. And because this ABM is so personalized, it's also likely that no ABM program will be the same, right? So it will be very different company to company. Very much so. And even within any given company, you're probably going to approach it in very different ways. At, you know, a, a wise approach is to have a a tiered approach where you have some top tier accounts that you go very deep and very personalized and very researched in because the opportunities are huge for you. You know, there's, there's big wins to be Mm -hmm. had. And then maybe you have a mid tier where it's more of a one to few where you're doing some clusters of accounts uh, along industry lines or geographic lines or other things. And, you know, it's a little less 
customized, a little less personalized, a little more scaled, and then and then maybe you mm-hmm. have a one to many tier where um, it it starts looking almost like traditional demand gen, but it's still a little more personalized and a little more uh, a little more dialed into their specific needs. But yes, absolutely, there are no mm-hmm. two ABM pro. I, th- I think I think the way I look at it is the principles are always the same. The the underlying philosophies and principles of ABM are going to be the same from company to company, but you're absolutely right that the, the execution and mm-hmm. the, the measurement and every aspect of, of delivering that program is going to be very different from a company to company. We all need to do testing in, in marketing. Testing is so important, but even so, in, and in account-based marketing, it's so much more important because um, it's com- it's very complex. It's personalized. It's probably going to be tier-based, depending on how personalized you want to make those specific accounts. How do you build a culture of to test drive everything uh, that is so so important for ABM? Well, you know, I often go back to that famous Google study on what makes high-performing teams, and the the big takeaway from that, as I best recall it, is this idea of psychological safety and the idea mm-hmm. that we all do our best work when we feel safe and safe, meaning that it's okay to fail in when you, when you take, when you take intelligent risks and things don't go well, you're job and your reputation is not at risk. Now, surely there comes a point where, you know, you're making the same mistake over and over again. You're, you know, you're doing foolish things while your job Mm. and your reputation rightly (laughs) are at risk now. But um, when you take intelligent risks and, and everyone understands that the, the, the way to success is through running a lot of tests and that we're ultimately not, I, I don't believe that marketers ought to think that they have all the answers. I think they ought to be great at creating hypotheses. They ought to be great at asking, well, what if? And when you create a lot of intelligent what if questions and then you go out and, and test them in the marketplace, you're going to have some wins, you're going to have some losses. And that's okay. You know, trust the process, trust that that's how we all get better. So I think the the main thing is, you know, I like to think about ABM as there are some established principles and, and best practices, but there's also a lot that will be different from company to company, as you said. Mm-hmm. And there's also a lot that just is yet to be fully validated. It's still a relatively new practice in the marketplace. So it would be very foolish to think that you've got all the answers. It'd be very foolish to think that you could perfectly orchestrate the perfect program on paper before you even begin to execute it. You have to strike a a really intelligent balance between those best practices and on one hand and a lot of smart tests on the other hand. So as long as you create an environment where everyone in the mm-hmm. entire, you know, not only the, the team, the sales and marketing team that's executing it here, but right up to and including the CEO, that they understand, look, 
um, we are going to do some things that are going to turn out to be suboptimal. We're going to do some things that aren't going to work that well. That's okay because at every step, we're going to get more efficient. We're going to get more effective and we're building a, a new muscle here. And the, the more we test and, and, and measure and optimize and the more the, the quicker our clock speed is on that process, the faster we get to a really impactful place. And when everyone understands that and talks about it like that, now you're safe to take intelligent tests and you're not just always um, retreating into the safety of, well, mm. that potentially might not work, so I'm not even going to try. Yeah. Yeah. It's just like that top down uh, approach of let's go test it. Let's have some failures and maybe also encouragement of that just ship it mentality of look we're not going to do 10 approval steps we're going to do one and some things might slip but we we might not get to 100 percent of each piece of content or each campaign but we're going to learn we're going to get better but we're going to be we're going to ship things or we're going to put things out faster than competition and that's how we're going to learn more and progress faster Absolutely. And you know what, whenever anyone's launching a ABM pilot or otherwise just getting started down that road, I, I tell them, look, one thing is for sure that, that the first things you do, you're going to look back on them in six months or a year and you're, you're going to kind of laugh that, wow, um, that wasn't that great. And that's okay. Um, that's how you get better. And, and if, you know, I think, is it, um, you know, there's a famous saying about if you're mm. not, it was, is it Reed Hoffman who says, if you're not, yeah. uh, if you're not embarrassed by your first product, you didn't ship it soon enough. I love you know, it. I, th I think it's, it's kind of similar here. If you, you know, let's say a year or two years into your ABM journey, if you don't look back at some of the things you did and, and think, wow, that was not that great. It was not nearly as efficient or nearly as effective as I'd hoped it would be. Well, then you were probably too afraid in the early days. Mm -hmm. And I'm not saying you just go, go out and spend money and time and go crazy at all. But, you know, recognize that by being, by, by moving into new areas and, and constantly improving, you will look back later and think, wow, I wish I knew, I wish I knew then what I know now, but yeah. the only way to get there is by, by taking those intelligent risks. Okay. So I wanted to ask you this, what are some of the best and or most worthwhile investments you have made? And those could be investment of money or time or energy so far in, in your career. Great question. Um, I think it's about time, not money. Mm -hmm. And it's about learning by throwing myself into new areas and, and being not just comfortable with the ambiguity and the risk that comes from that, but actually relishing that. Mm -hmm. um, I, I do believe that when there are new emerging areas, um, there's, there's tremendous opportunities to, mm. to grow much more quickly there than in more established areas. And, and I think I've done that, um, a number of times in my career. I mean, if you go way back, um, you know, big box retail was becoming a thing in the U S and, and I 
jumped into that right out of university. I was one of the uh, first hires at Staples in Canada. I was actually the first management trainee in Canada, and later I was the first buyer in Canada for Staples when this whole idea of big box retail was new and unproven. And, And I had a great run there, and I learned so much. And it was such a fast growing area. And, and then, um, you know, I, I went into digital marketing very early on when, you know, just, it was, it was really unproven and it it just Mm -hmm. seemed like such a small, I worked at Spin Master Toys at a time Mm. when, I mean, a very successful company, um, that had built a tremendous business around, um, selling at retail and advertising on TV. And that was the proven path to success. And, and I was the guy there saying, well, what about selling on Amazon? And what about doing digital advertising? And it was hard to get traction for that because Amazon was only one or 2% of the company's sales and digital marketing seemed really unproven at the time where, you know, we, we knew the formula. If we spent a certain amount of money on TV advertising, we could pretty, pretty clearly predict what was going to happen. Um, but I threw myself into that because Mm. it was fun and it was exciting. And I figured this is absolutely going to be a growth area. I want to be there. And then I, I threw myself in at LinkedIn, um, joined LinkedIn back in, um, 2011 when it wasn't nearly as big or as powerful as as LinkedIn is today and I was you know one of the the very early hires in Canada and and again mm-hmm. I had a, a tremendous uh, tremendous run there and then I, I guess I've done that again with with account-based marketing when I threw myself into ABM three years ago mm-hmm. it was it was a it was a shiny item but it was like really wasn't being done in very many companies at all. It was, it was a really interesting concept, but I had done some experiments with it, um, had early success and thought, you know what, this is going to be huge. And, and so I started investing more and more time in that. So I, I would, I would say my, my answer to your question is that the best things that I've done have, have been a, a repeating motion of jumping into emerging areas and emerging technologies when success was far from certain and things were very much still being figured out. And that, and, and then I kind of learned and grew along with those areas. And, and overall, I think it's paid off pretty well for me. Mm. Yeah, this is uh, this is a great investment. I uh, yeah, and uh, definitely career wise, and I think it's like it's also personal growth wise. It probably was like really really a big deal. Now we like to talk about books. I like to talk about books on this podcast. And um, what are some of the impactful business books that some of the you know most impactful books that you read that you keep coming back to? Yeah, I knew you were going to ask this question, um, and I actually went and uh, I went back through my Kindle library, and I went through my physical library in my house, and like, okay, I better have a good answer for this because sometimes when people ask me this, I blank a little bit, and all I can think of is the last couple books I read. So actually, um, I have a pretty good answer for you here because I researched it a little bit. Um, I, Excellent. I. 
I do read a lot and um, I, I find that sometimes inspiration and, and learnings come from you know, a variety of interesting places. So some of the books that I jotted down here in anticipation of you asking that mm-hmm. um, for strategy um, two that really keep popping up in, in my thinking and in my work is uh, Playing to Win by Laughley and Martin. Um, really good fundamental strategy book about, you know, where are we going to play? How are we going to win? Mm-hmm. What are our organizational capabilities to win? Um, really, that gave me, I think, a really good foundation in strategy. And then Blue okay. Ocean Strategy, which is, a, you know, such a compelling framework for thinking especially in technology i think about you oh, know yeah. how to how to steer your ship out of the bloody red you know shark infested waters and and sail out into uh blue oceans of new opportunity love that book um so i, I think those are a couple of my go-tos for strategy um for operations i i love the book the goal by ellie goldratt and um it's you know the story of a of a plant manager who who um, turns around his plant by just thinking about operations entirely differently. And I've gone back to that book a couple of times and kind of similar, but in a more mm. IT world is, is the Phoenix project by Gene Kim. And again, it's like, it's a, it's a novel, mm. but it's a, but it's a novel that is ultimately a business book. And I found those really cool. Um, business inspiration uh, for anyone in, in, uh, tech. I mean, uh, I came to it late, but Behind the Cloud by Mark Benioff from Sales, oh, you know, the so Salesforce good. story. I love that. I only read that book a year ago, and I thought, like, wow, how did I not read it sooner? I love it, and there's, there's so much there. So many takeaways, right? Like with brand oh, building yeah. the brand. Yeah, building the building the category. You know, category design, uh, and which leads me into you know a couple recently. Um, I, I, I've become a big advocate of of category design and, mm. and the, you know, the sort of the, the key book there, I think is play bigger, uh, Al Ramadan and, uh, mm. Christopher Lockhead. And speaking of podcasts, uh, Christopher Lockhead does a great podcast and, um, that book has really shaped my thinking around, um, category design. And then, uh, you know, another person who we, we all see a lot of on LinkedIn who does a fantastic job in so many areas, Graham Rit- uh, Robertson, rather, uh, mm-hmm. Beloved Brands. Um, uh, so he, he recently pulled together his years of expertise in branding and into the book called uh, Beloved Brands. And I found it a, a, a fascinating read. And it, it really helped me to crystallize a, a lot of my thinking about, about brand. Um, and then actually on my, um, up next to read a, a recent guest of yours, <laughs> April Dunford, uh, so yes. obviously awesome is in my Kindle queue. I haven't read it yet, but, um, it, it'll be, uh, it'll be next up. And I, I anticipate, um, learning a lot and getting a lot of great inspiration from that. Uh, I certainly have, uh, been a big fan of April's and, you know, I watch her videos and I read stuff she writes. So, uh, the fact that she's now pulled it all together into a book, I'm sure that that's going to be a great one. That's a great list. Uh, and April actually was on, on this show. So shout out April. I mean, she's, uh, yeah, she's, she does great articles. I was super impressed with her position and stuff and the framework that you can use, but, um, that's a big list. I mean, <laughs> I read, 
Blue Ocean, I think I read a couple more, but I haven't read all of them, so we'll check them out, and we will link them in the show notes for uh, everybody who wants to uh, learn more on operations and business on strategy. I think those are such a fundamental things, uh, but yeah, this is this is very cool. You also, I know you like meetups, Stephen. Obviously, you've co-founded ABM Summit, which is something a little bit bigger. But if we talk about meetups, like, is there a favorite that you have in Toronto? Well, um, self-serving, perhaps, but um, you know, the uh, ABM Pioneers Group that uh, Heidi Vandermeer and I uh, founded a couple of years ago. Um, what we're really doing there is we're we're building a community of of sales and marketing people primarily b2b primarily you know around abm not that everybody's job is necessarily abm but um you know the it's the unifying theme of the group is how to do better b2b sales and marketing through embracing of the the principles of of abm and you know we have a a meetup every few months Mm -hmm. where we'll bring in a, a practitioner from a different local company uh, some who are relatively early stages in 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 their uh, ABM journeys, and some who are more established. and And we always urge them to share like everything. People, you know, n- nobody needs them to get up there and talk about why ABM or what a- what ABM is. They want to know how, you know. So, hmm. um, you know, they our speakers are amazing. They get up there and they share real details about what they and their organizations have been doing and um, what's worked and what hasn't worked and how they've changed things and how they've optimized and what's next. And um, I, I find them to be, I know every single one of those meetups, I learn a lot of new things from, from our speakers. And it's also mm-hmm. a great community of beyond the speakers. Um, you know, we're, we're, we're all becoming friends in that group and, and we're helping each other in many ways. And I love hearing the stories of, of people who've met at that group and now they're collaborating with each other or they're, you know, going out for lunch every couple of months and swapping war stories on, on what they're doing in their companies and, oh, yeah. and what's working and what isn't working. So I think we've got, um, you got something pretty special there. And so I'm really, uh, I'm really excited and and proud of, of the work we've done there. Um, but I mean, it's far from the only good meetup group in town, Mm -hmm. obviously that, you know, the, um, I've been to good events. The, the growth hackers group does some great stuff. Sales TO does some great stuff. Mm Um, you know, obviously the, the, the 800 pound gorilla in, in, in the city of, of, uh, tech TO actually haven't been to, haven't been to one of theirs in a while. I've, I've certainly been to quite a number of them in the past. Um, they're packed. They're always packed. Yeah. And I mean, a great opportunity to, you know, to hear some really inspiring CEOs and, I, I personally gravitate to a little bit of the smaller, like, I, I don't know. I think there's a little bit of a Goldilocks, you know, not too big, not too small kind of thing. When you get a group where there's, you know, maybe 50 or 60 people in the audience and, um, there's a, a speaker or two who are maybe not big founders and CEOs, but they're, you know, director of marketing or something yeah. like that. And they get more into the, it's less, it's less the, um, the vision talk and more the, the into the weeds of here's really mm-hmm. what we're doing. And then it's a small enough group that you can ask them questions after. And it's not, you know, it's kind of hard to 
ask questions when there's 800 people there, right? So, I mean, I, I so personally love those sort of mid-sized groups where I, I find my learnings are more actionable in those groups. Where sometimes the big ones, it's very inspirational, but maybe mm-hmm. not as actionable. Yes, I'm, sim- I'm the same way. I don't uh, get too much networking and too much how-to or almost very little how-to from TechTO events that are big. But I find with the smaller ones, so much easier to connect with people. You get to network in a different way. It's a different type of networking, different vibe. And definitely you get more depth out of those types of events. Yeah, so I really can... do think the rela- the relationships you, you, you build at, at a good meetup are as important and potentially more important than anything you learn from the speakers. Exactly, because essentially people who are looking for content and know how to do it, uh, well, it does depend on the meetup, but a lot of times this content's already on YouTube been for a while. Um, and so those things are out there, but just like the relationship and meeting people who can answer your specific question, that is where like this is pretty cool. Then then you can like find and um, connect with them later on, as you mentioned, couple a uh, couple of times, um, couple of times in in a year uh, for for lunch. That is that is very that is interesting. You've been a guest host on the Flip My Funnel podcast several times. Um, how did you come up about that, and how does it fit with with a lot of things that you're doing? Yeah, I've I've been absolutely loving that journey. So. For those who are not familiar with it, Flip My Funnel is the organization started by Sangram Vajre and his Terminus colleagues as a account-based marketing community, and, and they do a lot of things. They, they have a, a great blog, they run conferences in the U.S., and Sangram has been doing this daily podcast now. He is now up over 300 episodes. And it's been a, I've listened to so many of them. I've learned so much and his guests are, you know, all over the spectrum of, of, you know, sometimes it's explicitly ABM. Other times it's more just, you know, B2B sales, marketing, customer success, great podcast. It's, it's a top 25, um, podcast in terms of listenership in the, uh, marketing and management category. And, um, I was really, really excited when Sangram offered me the opportunity to guest host some episodes there. Sangram and I have known each other for a while now since we travel in similar circles in the uh, ABM and and the uh, B2B marketing world. And uh, he spoke at the Toronto ABM Summit that that I co-founded a year or so ago. And uh, we've just stayed in touch on on a lot of things. And you know, we've, we've built a real friendship and, and mutual respect. And I think Sangram is an, a, an amazing evangelist for all things ABM and all things B2B. So I was thrilled when he offered me the opportunity to uh, guest host some of those podcasts. So initially I did, I did four episodes and uh, those all aired um, over the course of um, end of April into early May this year, 2019. And, um, and then, um, he, and, and I guess the, the broader audience were very happy with how those went because he's extended the offer to me to be a recurring guest host. So I'm going to do one or two episodes a month on a ongoing basis. And, and really what I'm bringing is the, the story of 
enterprise ABM. Mm. Um, what does account-based marketing look like in really large and complex global organizations? And it's been a fascinating journey. I've, I've, I've had a guest from Oracle, one from Autodesk. Mm. Yesterday, I recorded uh, an episode with um, a marketing leader at JLL, which is a 85,000-person global real estate management firm. And in each case, we really just dig nice. into what, do, what does it take to turn a giant ship like this and build a... a powerful account-based marketing practice in a giant organization. It's been a lot of fun. Yeah, no, this is sounds really interesting. And if you guys are into marketing, specifically IBM, we'll check out the Flip My Funnel. I will link it in that show notes. You're going to learn a lot and you're going to hear some of the episodes that Steve hosts, which is amazing. Um, Steve, my last question, where's everybody can find you online? Well, I'm uh, I'm always on LinkedIn. Uh, that is my um, LinkedIn is my social channel of of choice for sure. I'm always happy to engage with people and and connect with people. Uh, your listeners there on LinkedIn. I'm also on Twitter at Steve underscore Watt one. And uh, between uh, Twitter and LinkedIn, those are probably the best places to find me. Super. Well, I will link it again so everybody can just grab it and your books as well. We got a ton of cool things that you guys can get out of this episode. Um, it was a pleasure talking to you, Steve, and thank you so much for uh, being a guest. Hey, thanks, sir. It was a, a real pleasure speaking with you as always, and uh, I'm, I'm really enjoying all the great work you're doing with your podcast and the way you're bringing so much value to the uh, to the marketing community and the tech community. So uh, hats off to you and all the great work you're doing. Thanks for having me. Thank you. A lot more to come. Uh-huh.